This message was presented at the GYC 2017 conference, Arise, in Phoenix, Arizona. For other resources like this, visit us online at www.gycweb.org. So this morning, uh, for those of you who were not here, we covered very briefly uh, just the rudiments, why to have devotions. Uh, we discovered that there are, are a whole, um, whole spectrum of reasons to have devotions, but, but some of the strongest ones are that, number one, the, the whole point of devotions, devotion itself should be thought of as an action and not just a, uh, you know, an event. My devotions in the morning, the active ingredient in devotions in the morning is, in fact, devotion. Um, and so why should we have devotions in the first place? Well, we listed a number of reasons, and we won't go through all those right now. But some of the key ones, obviously, uh, communion. We were created for communion. We were created to be loved by infinite God. And it is that moment of setting aside everything else, letting the world grow strangely dim, and, and fixing our eyes uh, on Christ that you know, brings us into um, closest contact with him and allows him to pull off that miracle. So many reasons uh, why. That was this, the, this morning, the first session. Then we discussed what to study and uh, briefly discussed studying stories, uh, studying themes or topics, studying books, studying authors. Um, and we find that weaved through that whole... Um, all the options, you know, that we have to in approaching scripture. Uh, stories kind of are a recurring theme uh, because God seemed to, it seems, you know, when Christ was here, he taught predominantly through stories. And it seems to me that the reason why is that a story packs in more than just the words. Uh, and we know that because stories have kept giving since he spoke them, even mm. now. And we can read a story today and it means something more and different than it did uh, yesterday. So, First session of this afternoon, we're going to kind of switch into, uh, again, more of the practical uh, elements, how to study. So we touched on what to study, how to study. And some of this will we'll kind of um, dovetail into what we discussed this morning. But first, let's uh, ask the, the presence of the Holy Spirit with us. Father in heaven, here we are again. Thank you so much for this opportunity that we have to spend concentrated time uh, seeking you, letting the world and the, uh, the cares that so often surround us. Just letting those go uh, for a time and, and dedicating some time to our Bibles and Christian fellowship. We just ask that your spirit would speak powerfully in this place, that you mm. would take control of the discussion that we have, that you would plant the seeds of truth into each one of our minds and then let that truth uh, spring up, shoot, bear fruit for your glory is our prayer in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. All right, now, uh, before we dive into how to study, I just wanted to throw out a, a somewhat of an answer to this question. I said we would start with this. This was a question that came in last segment. What do you do if, despite every effort at surrender and commitment, your devotions is still unsatisfying and flat? Is something wrong with your spiritual life? Is something wrong with you? Um, I'll refer back to the analogy I used regarding the farmer and farming. I asked the question, is farming hard? Or is, is, is growing, uh, and the answer is yes, farming is hard. Uh, is growing vegetables hard? No, growing vegetables actually isn't hard. Preparing the soil, keeping it soft, keeping it watered, keeping the weeds out, that's the hard part. The seeds grow by the power of God, not by my ours. So 
our duty when it comes to devotions is to create an environment where God can do what God is good at and what we can't do um, because it's, you know, special thanks to ministry of his spirit. Hmm. So in reference to this question, um, what do you, if you do, what do you do if despite all your efforts and surrender and commitment, your devotions still seem unsatisfying and flat? Uh, I would, I would say my, um, this is an illustration I've used before, so some of you probably heard it before also. My siblings um, have spent most, uh, they've, they've been spending, my older sister, brother-in-law, and their two little ones, have been spending six months of the year in Africa uh, on their, and uh, one of the things that they do is they, um, as they're serving, we've had, a, you know, we've had the opportunity to go over there and spend uh, some time with them. And uh, in their, um, they were once upon a time in the Democratic Republic of Congo. We went and visited them there. And one of the things that will just fly in your face if you ever visit Africa for an extended period of time is the sheer number of cute little kids with stomachs out to here. Now in the West, uh, you know, we know this condition as malnutrition. And we would consider them to be starving. In truth, most of those little kids have full stomachs. Many of them don't, okay? But most of the little kids that you see on the street, they have full stomachs. But what's their stomach full of? White rice. And white rice uh, by itself is actually not enough to sustain human life. So they never grow as tall as we do in certain parts of Africa. Now, we would look at them and say, you're starving. You have a problem, and you need to fix it. And yet for them, for the little ones themselves, they're happy as larks because their stomachs are actually full. So they have this sense of satiation. I don't need any more food. And yet we look at them and say, you're, you're starving. Starving and not hungry. Is that possible? I think of the same, um, uh, uh, another similar scenario. For, for a number of years before she died, we had the privilege of taking care of um, a little grandmother, my mother's mother, and uh, she had advanced and advancing dementia. And of course, with that kind of disease process, uh, you just start to lose more and more body function as the years go as the years go on. And in fact, you can get to the point. We don't know all of how this works because it's kind of get hard to get into a brain like that and really understand. But as as the years go on, you can actually get so bad you forget how to be hungry. Like, and you forget how to eat. And not just that you forget, like, the mechanics of eating, like you can't get your food. You forget what eating is for, or so it seems. So when we were taking care of our little grandma, she just, you know, she got to the point where her, her disease process was very advanced. It was all mother could do, and my sister's could do to keep weight on her. And they did a masterful job of keeping weight on her all the way to the end, but that's because the day was basically one long meal time. Here, Grandma, take the, you know, one, one, one bite, open, 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 open. Okay, you got a food, bite of food there. But it would just go in, and then she would just sit there looking at you. And you're like, chew it. Chew it and swallow. Chew it and swallow. And it was just a fight, you know, all day long, my poor little Grandma. So, uh, you know, it got to the point in, at the very end of her life, she just, of course, she, she, did, she, didn't, she didn't know what chewing was, and she, apparently she didn't feel hungry anymore. But of course, I'm looking at my Grandma and saying, Grandma, you've got to eat. 
You're starving to death. You're starving to death, but again, didn't know it. How is that possible? Well, in the case of the African, you can be starving to death and not know it because your belly is filled with something else. That, I think, is one of our primary spiritual problems. We live in a land of spiritual and otherwise plenty. And plenty of other stuff, too. And what we are really, truly, deeply hungry for is this connection. But there are other things that we can partake of that mimic the kind of spiritual um, satisfaction that comes from real communion. One of those is stimulation. This may be one of the reasons why if you read like uh, Adventist Tome or Child Guidance, um, just some, some very interesting and, and very potent things to say about um, children and highly you know, stimulating circumstances and circus shows and all this kind of stuff. The reason, one of the reasons for this is, is that we can literally be hungry. Uh, uh, let me back up. We are literally hungry for God. We were created to be connected with God. We were created to have a walk and talk and, uh, and, and love and live relationship with God, us and God together. And then, of course, the fall broke that up. So now we're literally walking around half of what we were intended to be, less than half, because God is by far the bigger half. We're literally walking around. And so we have this hunger and we feel that hunger. The world is eager to fill it. This is why there is such a thing as marketing and advertisement campaigns. They're all appealing to innate human need, human hunger. Um, Well, if they can market me something, then maybe I don't need what would really satisfy. Hmm. I need Jesus, but if I spend enough time on Facebook today, I won't even think about Jesus. And I don't realize I need Jesus. Does that make sense? Hmm. So I had an interesting experience, and I know I I sound like I'm rambling on and on. I had an interesting experience uh, probably, I don't know. I don't know, it was a couple months ago. I was working on a, a very highly intensive writing project, and I just I needed to be done. I, I wanted to get done. And in the midst of, um, this is more than a couple months ago, it's probably a year, year or something, I don't know. Uh, in the midst of that, my concentration, I thought, okay, fine. What I really need is zero distractions. Like, if I, if I do nothing else and I give attention to nothing, I, I really can get this done, but I just need zero distractions. And furthermore, this is a project I'm working with working on with the Lord Jesus, and so I want, to have, I want him to have unhindered access to me. So just for this time, I'm going to go on a media fast, right? We've all kind of done that before, probably. But I decided not just a media fast. I'm going to go on a fast. Of, I'm, not, I'm not going to look at my email. I'm not going to, literally, I am just going underground for 10 days. And, um, and so I did. And sure enough, I had, I had time to spare that I had not reckoned. But you know what was even more incredible to me than the time I had to spare? Because I wasn't exactly, uh, I, I mean, I, I already wasn't a stare at Instagram for three hours a day person. Um, I thought, well, I'll, I'll save the 10 minutes that I usually look at Instagram in the morning or whatever, and I'll save, uh, you know, I might save 10 minutes in the afternoon, and, and whoopee do that'd be great. I'll save 20 minutes. I saved a lot more than 20 minutes, hmm. because I realized that 
you know, when I look at, I'm, again, I'm not, don't get lost on me getting hooked on Instagram because Instagram is not really the point here. There's a deeper point. But I realized that in my five minutes of, uh, you know, looking at Instagram and catching up, great. I have discovered that, you know, three of my friends are eating the same thing for lunch. I've discovered that so-and-so is out skiing today. I've discovered that, uh, you know, I don't know, half a, half a dozen other innocuous things. And uh, then I, I move on. But in the back of my head is, among other things, scam. There is no snow on the ground. There's no snow on the ground. I live in the this El Nino, La Nina thing, whatever it is this year. I don't know what it is, but I don't appreciate it because I want to go skiing. I haven't gone skiing since I was, you know, whatever. And then this is the background. Well, where, where did that come from? That came from Instagram by, you know, by extension. And is there anything wrong with that? No. But here's the point. Two days of saying no more Instagram, no more you know, email, no more. I'm just going to focus on this project right in front of me. I'm going to spend extra time praying, etc. Hmm. I suddenly, it was as though I woke up and I could hear. It wasn't until the background noise was gone that I realized how much background noise I had in my head. And that background noise was threatening not just my attention span, but also my affections while it was there. So just, the, you know, just by virtue of my having background noise, which again was completely innocuous stuff, harmless, just by virtue of having that background noise in my mind, when I sat down to read my Bible, I'm still reading Bible plus background noise. Does that make sense? Suddenly, to set that aside, I wasn't even thinking in these terms. This is why it was such a miracle to me. To set those things aside for a different purpose, because I was like, I don't have the 20 minutes a day. I'm going to use those 20 minutes a day for this project instead, see how quickly I can get done. Suddenly, I was getting you know, twice as much done in a, in a given day, because when I sat down to read my Bible, my Bible just, bam, came alive. And when I sat down to write, it was as though things just gelled in my mind. Again, not saying God would do this necessarily every time. But what I am saying is that this may very well be a reason why we try and try and try and try and want and want and want to have a more vibrant experience, want to be getting something out of our, uh, out of our Bibles. In, in truth, I'm just telling you, if my belly is already full of white rice, I don't care how good the lasagna is. I'm just not hungry. I can pick up my lasagna and, oh, yeah, that tastes so good. But I can't eat. I can't deeply partake. Mm. So again, that may or may not be, that's one facet of the answer to this question. Uh, what do you do if despite all your efforts, surrender and commitment, your devotions are still unsatisfying and flat? Jesus said one of the first things he said in, in uh, Sermon on the Mount, remember? Blessed are the poor in spirit. Sure. Blessed are those who sense their need. And then right after that, he says, blessed are those who hunger and thirst after righteousness. They will be filled. There's the promise. We're back to the, you know, the farming scenario. If you're hungry and you go to Jesus, I promise you, you'll be satisfied. If you're not hungry and you go to Jesus, the first prayer out of your mouth and mine should be, give me a hunger and a thirst after righteousness. Mm -hmm. And then my first set of choices should be, okay, enough white rice. No more white rice for this 10 days, for this next year, for the rest of my life. Friends, what is it we're training? You know? 
Our lives are just, they're full to the max. You, you, you squeeze any one of our lives out and they're just, they're running. Who in this room is not incredibly busy? Hmm. But what are we trading? A few short years here versus eternity. Hmm. I really, I mean, school is, 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 is great. And this is how God often leads us to, you know, prepare us to fulfill our calling. But let's not forget that in this moment, literally, I'm going to say something really radical, okay? In this moment, if I can't go to school and be a Christian in spirit and in truth, I'm choosing Christian. I'll, I'll come back to school sometime later. I'll take six years to get done with my associate's degree, and I'll come out the other side a Christian. And if Jesus shows up halfway through, glory be, I don't have to finish. <laughs> the alternative is start down that crazy train and never get off Mm. and miss it. Because when Jesus does stand up and walk out of the room, when the latter rain does begin to fall, we're just consumed with our, you know, our little world and our little set of priorities. And lo and behold, we're missing out on what's most important. All right, so um, in the closing portions of the last seminar that we did before lunch, we were going to talk about praying through scripture, and we ran out of time. So I'm going to cover that briefly before we continue on with this subject matter, because I think it is such a powerful thing, and it has made such a big difference in my life. So when we talk about prayer as a part of our devotional experience, I think all of us know, you know, hey, you know, I need prayer as a you know, vibrant part. I know we have another seminar on prayer by Pavel Goya. You know, find it afterwards, listen to it. It's going to be powerful, I know. But... In the meanwhile, we cannot just talk about devotions without at least touching on the subject of prayer. So what does your prayer in the morning, connected with your devotions, what does that look like? It is so easy for us to fall into the habit of it becoming somewhat repetitive and rote because of the fact that, yes, God does speak back to us. He does speak through his Holy Spirit to our conscience. However, while we are maturing in the experience of recognizing and understanding God's voice, Sometimes there can be a bit of a fog between, you know, was that God speaking to me or was that my own, like, idea that that popped into my head? And we can be kind of confused between those two things. God has given us so much subject matter for prayer in between the two pages of this, the two covers of this book, right? So how how meaningful would I find it? Let's give a practical example. How meaningful would I find it if, um, um, using my wonderful husband as an example again, If at the end of every day, you know, I didn't see him throughout the day, but at the end of every day, I knew that he was on the other side of this this door, that he would come and he would listen on the other side of that door. And I would come and I'd be like, oh, sweetie, you know, I had such a great day today. And, you know, I went and I saw so-and-so and this amazing thing happened. And, um... So I also had a concern, such and such needed to happen, and would you help me with that? And, uh, you know, I love you so much. You're so, you're so special to me. And um, um, anyway, so you know, I'll talk to you tomorrow. And I never heard anything back. How meaningful would that relationship be? And see, this is the struggle that we as humans often have with prayer because While we're maturing in the experience of let me understand God's voice speaking back to my heart, it can feel extremely one-sided. 
And how long do you sustain a one-sided conversation for, right? Where you're like, oh, you know, hey, sweetie, across the, you know, we don't address God that way, but across the barrier of not being able to fully perceive, you know, you speaking to my heart, how do you sustain a good connection with him where it's meaningful? Praying through scripture is one of those ways because God has spoken to us in the pages of this book. And you know what? It's quite a bit of subject matter. And if we decide to read through this book in a year, it's quite a bit of reading. It is quite a bit of reading. So God has given us subject matter. And this is one of the things that has been incredibly powerful in my life. Turn in your Bibles to Psalm 119. Let's just give an example of this. And you can do this all throughout the Bible, but I find it particularly meaningful in Psalms because in the book of Psalms, God has given us this, like, this entire book of inspired prayers that we can pray to him. And the fact that he has given us these inspired prayers that we can pray to him is itself the guarantee that he is prepared to answer those prayers. He's like, okay, ask this, ask this, pray this, pray this, pray this, pray this, pray this, because all of those things he is imminently prepared to respond to our request. So we have that in the book of Psalms, all over the Bible really, but let's, let's use Psalm 119 as an example. And I love Psalm 119 because, you know, it's the longest chapter in the Bible, but it's broken up into these very convenient eight-verse sections. So you can take just one eight-verse section as the beginning of your devotions, as, you know, as a, as a prayer meditation at the beginning of your devotions, or you can take two sections or three sections, but whatever. You can take maybe a piece, or you can take a different psalm. Psalm 32 is an exceptional psalm for this. Psalm 1. There's so, you know, so many psalms that you can do this for. So let's say we're, I'm going to pray through the first section of Psalm 119. Okay. Blessed are the undefiled in the way. Then I can immediately make that the subject of prayer. Lord, Am I undefiled? Am I covered by your blood? Lord, take my heart. You know, cover me with the blood of Jesus. I want to be undefiled before you. And then that opens the door to a whole subject matter of being covered with the righteousness and the blood of Jesus and how he saves us from all sin, right? Who walk in the law of the Lord. Lord, I want to walk in your law today. Will you show me? Will you remind me today when I'm, when I'm beginning to stray, when I'm becoming distracted, when I'm thinking about something else and I'm beginning to you know, depart from your law? Will you speak to me? Will you, at that moment, call to my heart and remind me that those who are undefiled in the way are blessed? Will you give me that blessing of enabling me to walk in your way? Blessed are those who keep his testimonies. Lord, give me a love for your testimonies. You see how there's like so much subject matter in these verses and how we can pray about how that applies to our heart? And it will be just as powerful today and, and tomorrow and the next day and the next day because these prayers can always grow. They grow with the human until we you know, reach the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. None of us are there at this point. So we have so much subject matter. Psalm 119 specifically is a wonderful meditation for beginning your devotions with, I think, because it's specifically speaking of God's word, God's law, his statutes, his judgments. It's, a, it's an entire meditation of love toward the commandments, the statutes, the judgments, the, the word of God. And that's what we want inculcated into our own hearts. And so I love at the beginning of my devotions, just taking one section, you know, one of those eight verse sections and just going through it, praying through it so that my mind can be washed with the word before I even get to the point where I'm, you know, wrestling through some other subject and trying to, you know, figure out some other passage so that my heart is starting out with a love for the word of God. Not only Psalm 119, all through the Psalms. Pray through the Psalms. If you struggle, if you, if you feel like your, your prayer life is kind of dry and it's like, you know, what's God saying to me? What am I saying to him? You know, I already covered my necessary topics and, and I'm done. And what else am I supposed to pray about now? This is a perfect thing. 
go to the Psalms and find their unlimited subject matter for your prayers. Uh, I'll read. This is one of the... Hello. I'll read uh, one of the questions that uh, came in between times. If you lack the imagination to visualize in your mind what is happening in the Bible due to how your mind has been affected by movies, etc., um, and now you've given up certain media, but you still cannot develop imagination to immerse yourself in the Bible story, how do you proceed from that point? The Bible is not entertaining, and nothing you can do to help your mind, to, uh, nothing you can do will help your mind see the amazing stories. I, I bring this up because it is dovetails, it's halfway between this and what I just finished saying, mm-hmm. and that is this. Um, it is absolutely certain that if our minds are accustomed to being hyper-stimulated, which is the norm nowadays, uh, especially uh, you know, with these things, which is why uh, the experts are now telling us, uh, American uh, College of Pediatrics, like, don't even do it. Don't let them see a screen until they're at least six years old. And every time I get in the airplane, it's another two-year-old you know, doing something on the iPad, and I'm thinking, hmm. and their brain will get about as strong as an iPad, but as we know, two years and an iPad's ready to be replaced. <laughs> hardly, hardly run an app anymore. Um, so it's, it's absolutely true that if we, you know, there's a price to be paid for that kind of just visual onslaught. The, the brain gets so amped up that it's accustomed now to a high level of uh, stimulation. And stimulation simply is not a replacement for satisfaction. And yet it, it dulls your, your, uh, your sense of dissatisfaction. Does that make sense? Hmm. And because it does, and it's directly connected with um, the whole the, the pleasure, pleasure center of the brain and all this kind of stuff, you just you get a dopamine hit and, oh, yeah, that's, that feels better than it felt five minutes ago, and so we keep going back to it. If that is your situation, which that is most of us, uh, most of us could certainly use a, a bit of a reset so that you can, we can enjoy the Scripture more. If that's your situation, then obviously your brain needs to heal. And uh, one of the things necessary to kind of, uh, I would say there's two things necessary to to help kickstart the brain. Uh, One is like what I was talking about, just the hard and fast, okay, I'm going to be a little bit ridiculous about this. And not only am I not going to look at Instagram and Facebook, but I'm just not even going to use my phone. I mean... I'm not going to do, you know, in this period of time, whatever that is. Obviously, it's going to have to be summer if you're in school. During this period of time, I'm just going to take a complete, just complete abstinence, a complete fast. And is that going to feel bad? Yeah. In fact, uh, media addiction is such a thing that you can legitimately get withdrawals. Like, you can legitimately get the aches and the pains and the shakes and headaches from not, yeah, literally from not having access to your, uh, to your device. Um, in that situation, the brain needs to heal, and the brain is going to take you know, an extended period of time to heal, but two things will help you. Number one is that commitment to being hard and fast and just saying, okay, this really is going to hurt, but a gentle, say a gentle taper or a gentle weaning just means you'll be a little deficient, but you're still getting your fix. What we're trying to do is stop the brain from getting its, its fix. This is kind of addiction science. Um, the second thing, there is, okay, have, have any of you ever heard the term brain plasticity before? Okay, this is a neuroscientific term. Uh, brain plasticity is the, the ability of the brain to change. Uh, there's a gene, genetic marker, that turns brain plasticity on and off. 
When you and I were 18 months old, brain plasticity was flipped on all the time. And what that means is the brain is in a state of everything is important. So everything they see, everything a little child sees, smells, hears, the brain is registering that as important information, important information, important information, important information. This is why the brain is just exploding and learning. Um, after you get it to be about three years old, the brain is like, enough important information. And so it starts to filter. The, the, uh, the gene that turns plasticity on and off switches it to off. And now the brain will only switch into plastic mode under certain circumstances. This is one of the other reasons why I had that whole blurb about the, um, you know, my, my black car this morning. The brain likes to learn with stories. It likes to learn with pictures. And so, because it likes it, it switches on the plasticity gene and suddenly, ah, you start remembering. When it's time to study for finals, Unfortunately, the brain usually switches off the plasticity gene because it's like, enough, enough details. This is not important. I will never have to know this again after tomorrow. And so you sit there trying to force feed yourself what the brain does not want. What's the lesson in this for us at this point? Well, uh, in order to help you hard reset the brain, you're going to need two things. Scientists have discovered that the, the element that turns... Uh, plasticity, incidentally, plasticity is harder and harder to turn on. The, the brain gets pickier and pickier as we get older because it's like, I know all that already. You know? I don't need to know. But there is one, and there are several things that turn it on and off, but the one under our control is volition, by which I mean I want. If you want something bad enough, it's the bottom line. If you want something bad enough, your brain will open up to get it. Um, but it has to be a, this is an all-in kind of, I want it. Does that make sense? So we're talking about, okay, my brain is just, I have literally movie scenes playing 24-7, 365 in my brain, and so the Bible is not interesting. That's, that's hard. Um, what, you're gonna, what I'm going to have to do in that situation is, number one, cut off the source, you know, stop feeding that part of my brain. And number two, I'm going to have to put my brain, hopefully, into a mode where it can start to change again, to change away from, you know, what I have been thinking about and obsessing about and enjoying this whole time into a different mode altogether, which means um, one way to do that, for example, would be um, replacement. So into my mind comes this you know, thing, or it's a snitch of a song, or it's a whatever. When into my mind comes that thing, my prayer would literally be, Lord, remind me, tap me on the shoulder, or bonk me over the head. When I start doing that same thing again without thinking, remind me of what I have determined to do. Remind me of what it is that I most deeply desire to do. God is faithful to answer mm. that prayer. Mm. When I was younger than I am now, um, Okay, when I was very young, my mouth never stopped. And then once I got old enough to figure out that sometimes people don't want to hear your mouth going all day long, <laughs> then I stopped my mouth at least half the time, but my brain kept going. So in the back of my mind, there's just all these, oh, I had, I had 
long, I, you know, I'm chapter 365, some epic drama in, the, in my brain, and I'm just, you know, scrubbing the toilet, right? But, but in my brain, it's an, uh, the full cast of characters and costumes, and it might as well have been a movie. And that happened without me trying, right? I, I, I'm pretty sure I was addicted. Hmm. And so I literally would slip into this mode without thinking. Every time I was doing the dishes or what, I'm just mumbling under my, you know, dialogues going back and forth, and I should have, I don't know, in, in my... Anyway, if I weren't a Christian, I'd probably be a screenwriter, I suppose. Anyway, uh, or a novelist. So <clears throat> I finally was like, Lord, what is obviously this is come to the point where I'm almost dependent on it. Now what am I supposed to do? Well, he's like, well, ask. I can, I can, you know, I can tap you on the shoulder. And then be proactive. Mm-hmm. I knew that I had a problem. Every time I went to the, to the sink and I'm just moving my hands and nothing, none of the rest of me is actually doing anything productive, my mind would just... So I was like, okay, new plan. I have to figure out something else to do when I go to the sink. And I decided, uh, okay, well, there's plenty of people in the world who have plenty of needs. Maybe I'll pray. I'll pray for a specific person instead of, you know, when, and whenever the Lord reminds me, your, your mind, your mind is wandering. Come, 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 come. Castles and, castles, castles and knights can wait. Come. Whenever the Lord reminds me, I will replace it. Instead, I will, I will purposefully pray for X, Y, or Z, these people. You know, that didn't last very long because I think the devil figured out that X, Y, and Z were getting prayed for a lot. So he's like, woo, okay, switch tactics. Uh, In addition, I would say, you know, if Sean's talking more about the aspect of, you know, turning away from the overstimulation and replacing it. But I would additionally say if what we were doing earlier in the previous session where we were going through, you know, you know, as Jesus passed by and the death of Moses, if adding that much color and that much, you know, connection into a Bible study, into a Bible story, if that is foreign to you, then while you're trying to wean yourself, you know, off of, you know, hyperstimulation of the brain and back onto the plain word of God, then I would say, you know, let, let the Conflict of the Ages series be your best friend. What I was talking about earlier describing, you know, Moses turning around and walking away in silence and alone, that was a direct quote out of, out of Patriarchs and Prophets. I didn't come up with that, you know, in my own wonderfully creative mind. So there's a lot there. Now, of course, we can read Patriarchs and Prophets like, oh, Moses finished these words, turned around, walked away in silence and alone, and be done. So we don't have to necessarily enter into that either. But there is so much color in those books. They are amazing books. They are amazing books. So let, your, let them be your best friend. God gave them to us as a gift for a reason because I think he knew that we would be a hyper-stimulated age. Yeah. All right, so moving right along. Uh, thank you for all the, the questions. If we don't cover all the questions, we'll definitely, we've got you now, so we'll just text you back your question later if we don't get to it in the next uh, session or two. Okay. We better move on because we're running out of time. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> um, other favorite message, methods, I'll just throw this out here. So there are creative things that we've, we've uh, done with our devotions lately that are just have been really super exciting and super fun to us. Mm. So um, one of those is uh, we read, sweet, sweet Honey and I, when we wake up in the morning, first thing we do is she usually reads me a psalm out loud, and I read her the proverb of the day, whatever the date is. So we get a psalm and a proverb, and that's kind of our together little... Um, you know, worship thing, and, uh, you know, I think why I like it the most, because I don't like getting out of bed in the morning, especially when it's cold. So when it's cold, and the alarm goes off, and then it's like, oh, I still have four minutes, because we got to have one psalm and one proverb before I have to get my feet on the cold floor. It's delicious. But anyway, (laughs) 
fun little things like that. Another thing we've done um, is lately, okay, you know at the last GC session, the White Estate released a whole new trove of uh, previously unpublished Ellen White stuff, uh, manuscripts, and did you know that? Well, they did. Um, and among the things that they released, you'll just find, you'll, I have had a real blast going through some of, that, uh, some of that material. And in particular, you'll see there was a couple in our earlier uh, sessions, a couple references from sermons and talks. I have had a lot of fun reading Ellen White's sermons and talks. And I think one of the reasons is when she wrote, she wrote very, uh, you know, when you write, you write, and then you edit it, or you think about it, and then you, okay, yeah. And then when you talk, it's literally just, it's a lot more unfiltered, right? Ellen White was a lady with some personality, let me tell you. <laughs> and it comes through loud and clear in places like sermons and talks and, and manuscripts and stuff. So have some, have some fun with your, devotional, uh, you know, with your devotional time and your devotional experience. And read some of, alongside with you know, your other things, reading the Bible and whatever, read one of those other uh, early writings and life sketches full of incredible history, fascinating mm-hmm. Uh, fascinating stuff, sermons and talks, just full, it's from one thing to another. A sermon takes, you know, I don't know, 20 minutes to read, and just really, uh, really fun. Now, we want to, one of the main uh, deterrents, as it were, to, uh, to Bible study in general seems to be, especially, you know, New Testament study, people think, oh, no, it's just too complicated. I can't, I can't understand it. I don't, I don't get it. I have no, I have no idea. I, you know, I tried to read Romans, and Romans, just, I can't do it. So I obviously need to buy more commentaries on Romans, or I need to, the pastor needs to tell me what is going on in Romans. I just can't, I can't get Romans. It's way too complicated. Um, I want to teach you two quick, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Quick tactics. tactics. That's exactly the word. Two quick tactics that I have uh, employed with significant amount of success. Um, I mean, I, I have a bit of a background in theology, but this you can do without any background in theology or knowledge of Greek or Hebrew. Um, and the first one is uh, what I call reverse diagramming. Reverse diagramming. This is particularly helpful when you're dealing with Paul, who's writing, and his sentences run on and on and on. And they're full of dependent clauses, right? So he says something, and then because of this, whom did this, and wherefore this, and by the time you get to the end, there is no, you have no clue what's, you know, what he was actually saying at the beginning, like, where is the main clause? I don't even know. So, classic example, that would be Ephesians 2, 1 through 3. We'll just do this really quick, and I'll show you how it works. And you had the quickened who were dead in trespasses and sins, wherein in times past ye walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that now worketh in the children of disobedience, among whom also we had all our conversation in times past in the lust of the flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath even, even as others. Hallelujah. You had the quick, I mean, I, I would just look at this and I would start to glaze over. And especially if I'm, if I'm assigned to read like Ephesians 2 for devotions today, you guys, it's just not going to end well if you, you know, if you just take this at face value and try to absorb it that way. Here's one trick that I have found that, that works every time. Every place where you see a little, um, uh, you know, a punctuation mark of some kind, a comma, uh, semicolon, well, maybe not every place, basically cut the... Cut his long... Is that all one sentence? 
I actually think that's all one sentence. Mm -hmm. Okay, so you're going to cut his sentence yeah. in pieces, every place where there's a comma or something, and just take the clauses one at a time. Okay, so that would look something like this. You hath he quickened, dead in trespasses and sins, wherein in times past you walked according to the course of this world and the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that now worketh in the children of disobedience, among whom you also had conversation, etc., all the way to the bottom. <clears throat> now I'm going to take these... Um, uh, again, we, we noted that Paul often goes through long strings of, and he's making dependent statements, or he's, he's making statements that just, they kind of expand downward. So, for example, the fourth bullet there, um, among, uh, or the fifth bullet, among whom? Well, who's the whom? Well, yeah, everyone from above there is the whom, and suddenly he says whom, and then below whom is, is expanded even more. So you've got just words exploding and ideas all over the place and, and what to do. Here's a tactic that works for me. Split them in pieces. In fact, if you have a pen and paper, this is sometimes even easier. Write out the verse, each clause by itself. Take a pair of scissors, cut them each out, lay them out on your desk, and then flip them around. If you take dependent clauses and, and decode those first, then suddenly the part before makes sense. Instead of you getting lost down a rabbit hole, you start at the bottom where the baby bunnies are, and then you come out into the light. Does that make sense? So what that would look like with Ephesians 2 uh, is something like this. First, we just make a statement. Uh, we're by nature. Let me, let me show you the decoded version. There are those who are by nature children of wrath. That's the last, the last down here. Uh, whoops. Okay, anyway. Oh, the first one. And were by nature children of wrath, even as others. That was the last line of one through three. So here we've turned it to a statement. There are those who are by nature children of wrath. Their conversation is of the lust of the flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind. That same spirit works in the children of disobedience. Therefore, the children of disobedience are these people whose conversation is of the lust of the flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh of the mind, etc. These are children of disobedience. You are one of them. You also are a child of disobedience. They are dead in trespasses and sins. By extension, you are dead in trespasses and sins. But God has a solution. Does that make a little more sense than Ephesians 1 did before? Try this. You don't have to learn Greek or Hebrew as long as you can recognize a comma. <laughs> Flip them around. Another, um, uh, another uh, exercise um, that I'll... Did we start at 245 or 345? We started... We started at 245. At 245, yeah. yeah. Okay. Hey, but you, uh, you, skipped, you skipped my part earlier, so I'm going to come back to that when you're done, okay? Go ahead, Let's and see. then I'll, I'll throw in this... Yeah, go ahead. You sure? Okay. Yeah. So here's something we were going to talk about earlier before the reverse diagramming, but it's okay wherever it fits in. So one part of it is, okay, how we study the stories, you know, the books, this, that, you know, maybe reverse diagramming of these difficult passages where we're trying to wrap our, our minds around it. But another very key point is the mindset that I am in when I start studying. So one thing that I began to notice as a pattern in my devotional life was that since I was small, I don't even know what age, five, maybe four, my mother was very faithful. My, both my parents were very faithful about us having our devotional time. Praise the Lord for godly parents. And so they would, every day when I would wake up, oh, first thing I did was devotion. So that became a very ingrained habit, okay? 
So to this day, I wake up, what's the first thing I do? Okay, where's my Bible? So I read, usually I read Ellen White stuff on my phone. I always read my Bible out of my Bible. Just because there's a lot of studies that point to us being able to keep better attention when we're reading out of a book as opposed to from a screen. And besides, this actually is a Bible. (laughs) And this actually is an iPhone. So when reading our Bible... It's nice to read your Bible. It's at all possible. It's just a thought I had. It's at all possible. So, and plus, with your Bible, you can mark it. I I encourage you, mark your Bible. If you are one of those that like everything to look very tidy and you don't want circles and pencil marks and all this stuff, you can be like my husband. If you want to come up and see his Bible afterwards, you can come see it. It is immaculate. The way he marks is immaculate. It looks perfect. Mine... Not so much. But when you express onto the pages of your Bible, this is what God has given us his word for. It's a letter to us. We are allowed to interact with it, respectfully, of course, but we are allowed to interact with it. We will remember more. Okay, so the mindset that we come, that we approach the word of God with. I began to notice in my life that because it was such an ingrained habit, it'd be like, oh, wake up. Oh, yeah, I didn't get to sleep early enough last night. I'm so tired. Okay, where my Bible? Okay, hmm, you know, 2 Peter. Mmm, you're reading through, okay, okay. Oh, oh I got to get bed earlier tonight. Mm. Okay, and I would approach the Bible as a familiar friend, you know, okay, I want to read this, okay, I, yeah, I, mean, I enjoy, I'm edified by it, yeah, 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 but it's, it's kind of a buddy, you know, it's something I do every day, I read it. That's not what the Bible actually is. The Bible is something much more remarkable than that. So, something I've tried to do is to, before I just reach a Bible and start reading, to actually get into a mindset where I understand who it is that I'm coming to spend time with and to learn from. Because this is his articulated will. This is the articulation of his character that I'm reading. I don't need to be reading it like, ah, right? Okay, so sometimes when I wake up, I try to take a few moments just to, to pray, but to pray in a sense of picturing, okay, here am I, little me, you know, sitting on my bed or wherever I am. And I just begin by trying to picture, okay, heaven. What is heaven like? Is there stuff, you know, carelessly tossed around on the streets? Is there, you know, somebody, you know, that didn't pick up their clothes? Is there papers lying around? Is that going on in heaven? Okay, no, no. Try to picture heaven as we're talking. I know I have not seen nor ear heard, but try to picture heaven as we're going through this. So I try to picture, okay, heaven. I try to picture what the Bible describes, you know, heaven and where God is and where his throne room, the way it describes it. I try to picture that in my mind. And the more I try to picture that, you know, I start feeling a bit small. Then I try to picture, you know, coming down, you know, these amazing gold, you know, quarters, pillars, house filled with smoke when, you know, when they're praising God and everything. I try to picture little me coming here, and coming to where there's, you know, cherubim and seraphim, you know, their names mean burning ones. Amazing. Amazing. And I come there and I'm like, okay, it's my time to speak to the king. And they know that I'm coming because he's told them I'm coming. And they are the ones that, you know, pull the doors back. You know, of course, we don't know exactly how this was. But just enter in so we can have the right mindset of knowing who we're speaking to. So I try to just picture coming there. The door is opening. I step in. The doors close behind me with a soft click. And it's just me and the God of the universe. Just me and him. Feeling small, huh? 
But then I picture how God is willing for the sake of his children to get off his throne and come down and take our hands in his and say, how did you sleep? How is your, how's your day? What do you have lined up? Not that he doesn't know, but that he cares. Once I'm in that frame of mind where it's like little me in the courtroom, in the throne room, doors clicking softly behind me, just me and holy God, omnipotent God, powerful God, affectionate God. Mindset, A, submission. I don't come in there and I'm like, well, what did you think you were doing about such and such? No, that's not, the, <laughs> that's not the mindset at that moment. A, submission. B, reverence. I respect. The Bible's not just my buddy. The Bible dictates to me. I learn from the Bible. It is my teacher. I am its student. And lastly, affection. This is not just some dictator up on his throne telling us, you shall do this, you shall do that, you shall not do this. No, it's the God that's willing to get off his throne Take our hands in his and say, how did you sleep? Tell me about your day. Tell me the things that you want help with. Tell me the encouragement that you need. Do you want to know how much I love you? That's the God we're dealing with. So when we come to the Bible, let's not just be like, and it's an easy trap. I understand. I, it, is, it is one of my besetting sins in my devotional life to just come to the Bible and start studying. And because I do have a lively imagination for stories of the Bible, I can get all you know, lost in what I was you know, talking about earlier, about the dust and the thing everywhere flying and rocks coming up and Jesus walking by and there's the blind man. And whoo, I get excited about it, right? So I do have a, a lively imagination that can enter into the word of God. But at the same time, we're not just here to be imagining what's there. We are here to come and, yes, enter in, but to learn and be taught and be loved. That's why we come to the Word of God. Ha, love that. I've never, actually never heard her give that particular description before, but it's quite like my, like, if in my mind, when I get to the, you know, the throne room, quote, quote, I am I'm, I'm a three-year-old boy in footy pajamas with a teddy bear under my arm, like, you know, and, and God is God Almighty, but he's like, what's your teddy bear's name, you know? Ah, incredible. That is the God we serve. That is the God we serve. That's the God we need to know. That's the God we're willing to die for. Not one that's just like, thou shalt, thou shalt not. He does say thou shalt and thou shalt not. But he says it because he loves us. Mm -hmm. Because he wants a relationship with us. And because he knows better than we do what's going to help us and what will not. Mm -hmm. All right. So last last point for, for this session. And then hopefully we'll get to one or two more questions. Uh, I'll take the same Ephesians 2. It's going to do a different passage, but we I already kind of, kind of got this, so um, that'll speed things up a little bit. We've discovered that there's this class of people. They're children of wrath, and they are the spirit that works in them is the spirit of disobedience. They have their conversation. That is their lifestyle, is the lust of the flesh. Uh, they are in the world, and we are among them. We are one of them, but God has quickened us. That's the essence of Ephesians 2, 1 through 3. There's another way that you can approach difficult passages like this, though, and that is, um, or I say maybe it's a related way to approach difficult passages like this, and that is, harking back to what I was saying this morning about pictures and stories, the, the pursuit of, um, you know, finding pictures and stories in a Pauline epistle is much more difficult than in the book of Genesis or the book of Acts or the Gospels um, because Paul was not writing a storybook when he wrote the book of Romans. Hmm. Um, however, 
there is plenty of, there actually is plenty of imagery uh, locked in these passages. And often, if we're able to, you know, wrestle through the, the, the wording to see the imagery, it sticks just that much better. Um, now i got to make a little disclaimer here, and that is there is a difference between type and antitype. There is a difference between the reality and the metaphor. Hmm. Uh, the reality is comprehensive. Metaphors, by definition, are limited. So don't, uh, you know, don't build in your mind, per, go pursue a metaphor and figure it out and think, oh, I have figured out all there is to know on this topic because, you know, I know this one story. Uh, no, a metaphor or a, pic, a mind picture, in a sense, can give us an insight into a story, but then there's always more. So let's take, for example, Ephesians 2, 1 through 3 again. Um, if I were to ask you to play, okay, you know, you've, probably some of you have played that game where, like, you maybe get someone tells you a sentence or a word or a phrase and you have a piece of paper and a pencil and you're supposed to translate that phrase into a pictograph of some kind and you can't use any words. You've played that game. And then you give your paper to someone else and they're supposed to turn it back to words. Um, you, can pl- you can play, I say, uh, a almost uh, a, a related, I don't, I, I don't want to call it a game because we're not playing with scripture, but you can do a similar exercise in your mind, especially with Pauline passages. Uh, for example, you had the quickened who were dead in trespasses and sins. If I was to stop and, and try to build a mind picture, uh, you know, what would that mind picture look like? I, I could leave you to think about this for an hour. That would be super fun. In fact, maybe next uh, we should just give everyone paper and see what happens with Ephesians 2. Um, but I'll just tell you my, my rough picture um, since we have like literally three minutes here. You had the quickened who were dead in trespasses and sins. So I'm trying to, to uh, wrap my mind around this dead. Dead in trespasses and sins. Okay, so I'm in something and I'm dead. Next question. What am I in? What does that death look like? Next verse. Wherein in times past ye walked, okay, so I've, obviously I'm not in a coffin. Did you catch that? Because I'm walking. I'm in something and I'm dead, but it's not a coffin. It must be bigger because I'm up and walking. So obviously also this is not sarcophagus, King Tut kind of death. This is some other kind of death. Wherein in times past you walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the law of the power of the air, the spirit that now worketh in the children of disobedience. Okay, so obviously I'm walking. I'm walking in disobedience. But the verse says that I'm dead. Dead in trespasses and sins. The picture that comes to my mind is a castle. The castle's name is trespasses and sins. I'm walking around inside, but I'm dead. But if I'm walking around inside, I think I'm alive. Does that make sense? That's us. Walking around thinking I'm alive. And there might be many, this, is, this would be further extrapolation, there might be many reasons why I inside the castle might think myself alive, might think myself free. It's possible my eyes have been put out. So I actually don't see the walls. I'm just sitting there thinking, 
I can see the birds, you know, I mean, I can hear the birds and I can feel the breeze, so therefore, I must be free. No, indeed, I'm not free. In fact, I might be in transgressions and sins, and what is the, you know, what do you think would be God's priority? What do you think would be God's intention for a child of his? Dead in trespasses and sins. Well, if you keep reading, and again, we don't have time to crack into the whole Romans thing, but again, I, I mentioned earlier that Ephesians is a mini Romans. Um, Ephesians 2 is packed, especially 1 through 10, is packed with Romans 6, 7, and 8. In fact, some of the places you find exactly the same idea, just said in slightly different words. So basically, if you were to follow this you know, progression, you can build, uh, again, these are not just words on a page, you can build, you see yourself. You see yourself stuck in transgressions and sins, and yet you're walking around, so you know by default you think you're alive, you're not alive, and in fact, you can, you can read all the descriptors, and as Ephesians 2 continues going on here, we finally get the, uh, you know, we get the answer. We get deliverance. Where does deliverance come from? Deliverance comes from being in Christ. How do we get to be in Christ? Well, we get to be in Christ by faith. And where do we, God, uh, Ephesians and Romans both say that God raises us up. Well, how does that happen? Apparently, we get airlifted out of this place. Like, literally, there's no way out of transgressions and sins, trespasses and sins, except up, up, to be in Christ, with Christ, sitting on his throne, etc. See how I've just, uh, I can see it now. Maybe you can see it a little bit too. So my encouragement would be to you, secondary tactic, this is a little bit more complicated. And again, remember, just because you've read three verses of scripture and started building a picture in your mind doesn't mean that your picture is theologically sound. You've got to keep reading because... Initially, I would have said, oh, I'm dead in trespasses and sins. I'm in a coffin. Next verse invalidated that whole picture. So make sure that if you start painting a picture in your head, try to put the pieces together of this you know, run-on sentence. Make sure that your, your mind is still open to correcting that picture as Scripture itself will. And mm-hmm. the broader and broader you get, finally, eventually, what you see is the gospel Amen. every single time. When you get far enough away from any verse in Scripture, far enough to take in more and more of the context, you'll see the gospel, the same beautiful gospel, over and over again. And that is ultimately what changes and transforms lives. All right, let's pray, and we'll send you on your way. Father in heaven, thank you so much for, again, another hour to spend together. We just ask that the things that we have shared would be a blessing and an encouragement uh, to those here listening, and that ultimately your name would be glorified um, in our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. This message was recorded at the GYC 2017 Conference Arise in Phoenix, Arizona. GYC, a supporting ministry of the Seventh-day Adventist Church, seeks to inspire young people to be Bible-based, Christ-centered, and soul-winning Christians. To download or purchase other resources like this, visit us online at www.gycweb.org.